it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. It is Christmas Eve 2008. And uh, rather than going after somebody, I thought it'd be a lot better if we spent some time in God's Word today. There's all this talk about the purpose of Christmas. What's the true meaning of Christmas? How do we focus on Christmas? This is technically the last day of Advent. And uh, I tell you, I've been really looking forward, really, truly looking forward to uh, this holiday season, to Christmas coming. Why? Because it's like waiting for Jesus Christ himself. That's what Christmas is all about. Hello, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and my name is Chris Rosebro, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And um, this is a show that your pastor or other Christians may have warned you about. This show has the uh, profound ability to cause supreme dissatisfaction uh, with the church that you may be attending, especially if it's seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven, or prosperity gospel, or the pastor just doesn't give you God's word in the gospel. And uh, guarantee you spend some time with us, you will get a taste for the gospel. And once you have the real gospel, that is that Christ died for your sins, it's tough to go back to preaching that doesn't exalt Jesus and him crucified for your sins. It is Christmas Eve. We're uh, getting ready to take a day off tomorrow for for Christmas, so there'll be a best of program at fightingforthefaith.com. And uh, today, we're, we're like I said, we're not going to go after anybody. Can you believe it? We're not playing. We're not reading any news stories. We're not going to read any listener email today. Instead, we're going to really spend some time looking at Christmas. What's what's all this good news about? What's this? What is this that the angels were singing about on Christmas? Right. And we're going to give a context for it. And so, um, you know, I don't claim to be some kind of a profound uh author who's capable of selling 20 million copies of anything that I write. <laughs> in fact, I'll be blunt. Um, I'm not the sharpest tool in this shed, and about the only thing I really understand is is God's Word. And so today I want to bring God's Word to you, and we're going to spend a lot of time in Scripture. So if you have your Bible, go and grab it. Now, I understand that uh, not every one of you is as sanctified as I am because I use the ESV, but that's okay. We'll, we will excuse that. But And so the good news is you're going to get this from the uh, the uh, English sanctified version. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, if you can't have fun, then what's the point of living, right? Uh, okay. So, folks, if you got your Bibles, grab it, and uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into that today. Um, uh, so, basically... You know, if you've listened to this program, I spend a lot of time critiquing those pastors who've bought into the lie that the purpose of the of a church sermon is to give people helpful advice on how to make their lives better. You've heard me. We've we have reviewed some very bad sermons here on fighting for the faith and that completely biff it in this category. But here's something interesting. Um, some of you all understand the reasons why I do this and others send me emails because they can't quite grasp what is wrong with this approach to church. Um, so, interesting, this Christmas Eve, I actually want to take the time to offer a biblical view of the reason why this, uh, the season that we celebrate at this time of year, known as Christmas, is so profoundly important. And if we do not understand the depth of the Christmas story, then we don't really understand reality about ourselves 
and the nature of the God who cares for us, who created us and cares for us and loves us. In fact, if you don't understand the full meaning of Christmas, um, you don't understand really a lot. And so funny thing is, is that along the way today, I will actually be offering biblical comfort to those of you, those of us who have uh, shattered careers, broken marriages, uh, are struggling because of the economy, maybe experiencing a strained relationship with your son or your daughter, your mother, your father, those who are looking for a gospel that works and solutions to their broken and short-circuited lives. So funny enough, even though I've been uh, been critiquing people who uh, who their focus is on those things, along the way today, we're going to speak to some of those issues. And so I just want to let you know that ahead of time, but it's not in the way that you think. It's in a very different way of looking at it all together. So without any further ado, let's let's start let's talk about the story of Christmas. And in case you don't know, the story of so many accounts of the Christmas story begin begin in Nazareth. It's as if, you know, the Christmas the Christmas season and the Christmas stories and the Christmas passages that we read at this time of the year, they always begin in Nazareth with the announcement of the virgin uh, to the virgin that she would give birth to a son and to a savior. But that's like starting a book in the middle of the story. I mean, when was the last time you uh, picked up a book and just decided to skip through, you know, the first 20 chapters and kind of just plop yourself right into the middle of the action, right? Never. Never, never do that. And so I always find it interesting that um, at this time of the year, we always start in the middle of the story. We we start it kind of like where the story's got the conflict is coming to a head, and 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 things are get, are getting good, you know. Um, but the Christmas story doesn't start in Nazareth. Okay, uh, the true story of Christmas begins in the Garden of Eden, and unless you understand the magnitude of the evil that befell the human race on that day. The day, uh, you know, then then the Gloria that is sung by the heavenly host that you read about in Luke chapter two um, doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. And so our story today actually begins um, not in Nazareth, not with Elizabeth, but actually begins um, in a garden of all places. So um, we read in Genesis Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's so much that you can just stop there for a second. The very beginning of the scriptures, God's word, begins with the statement that God created the heavens and the earth. We didn't happen by chance. We are not here as an accident. We didn't evolve from apes. In the very beginning, it says that God created the heavens and the earth, that all of this was designed. All of this was intelligently thought out. And as you're going to hear here in a second, God actually spoke the heavens and the, and the earth into existence. Mm-hmm. Here, here. I, yeah, I, yeah. <clears throat> John, watch it. So the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. 
And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. For And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars, and God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning on the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to it its kind and God saw that it was good then God said let us make man in our image after our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And so every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and then there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and rested on the seventh day from all 
the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. Let me pause there for a second. We, I have heard it said, are a planet that cannot remember its origins. We don't know where we came from. We can't look within ourselves and say, this is where we came from. We cannot explain how we got here. Even the scientists dispute and fight with each other regarding how we got here. Some say we evolved by chance. Others say that humans were planted here by, a, by another race, another species, another you know, people from another planet. There's all the, the theories abound as to how we got here. Yet the scriptures tell us this amazing story that God created the world in six days, spoke it into existence, and he declared all that he created to be good, not evil, but good. And at the very end, he declared it to be very good. So thus, the beautiful and good creation that God had made by speaking it into existence was there and it was good. We cannot comprehend really what that means. I mean, the best way I could describe it is there's pictures of how good this was and how good we had it. We were directly children of God through creation and God gave us every plant bearing fruit so that we can eat and our job. We even had a job to to care for the creation that God had made. And there wasn't toil, there wasn't sin, there wasn't evil, there wasn't death, there wasn't all the things that we've become familiar with, right? God created it good. But the story continues in Genesis. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So God set in the middle of the garden that he had made and put man and had created him. He put a tree and he gave a command. And the command was to not eat of that tree. an act of worship, an act of obedience, right? But then the story continues. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together 
and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And, and the man said, Well, the woman whom you gave to me, who was with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. It's a terrible story, isn't it? It's horrible. So thus, this beautiful and good creation that God had made by speaking it into existence was now cursed. And humanity, the pinnacle of God's creation, made in his own image, fell and was cursed. This is not a mythology. This isn't, some sto- this isn't a story. This is history. This is our origins. The Bible begins by telling us where we came from. And through this event, it explains why it is that in this creation, it's a mix of good and evil, and good seeming so rare and so fleeting, and evil being so prevalent. Blessing was replaced with curse. Fatherly care was replaced with toil. Joy was replaced with suffering. Peace was replaced with war. And life was replaced with death. But if you read the story carefully, we get the first glimpse of the star of Bethlehem in Genesis 3. Like the bright star shining into the darkness in the night that fell upon all of humanity that terrible day in the garden, God, the powerful, holy, good, and almighty creator, gave a promise that day and announced ahead of time that he would have the last word and that one was coming into the world who would crush the head of the serpent. Remember Genesis 3.15? God speaking to the serpent, saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. On that day, on that day, 
darkness fell on humanity. And Genesis 3.15 is when into the darkness we first saw the bright and shining star of Bethlehem. Thus, as the scriptures teach every child and descendant of Adam and Eve, male and female, great or humble, rich or poor, healthy or infirmed, was born to die. Born into sin and wickedness, born into rebellion to God, and like wretched monsters thinking only of themselves, living only for themselves, thoughtless, heartless, and ruthless. Thus, the history of mankind can be summed up as a litany of suffering and death. The history of mankind from this moment forward is a history marked with wars, famine, stock market corrections, poverty, layoffs, diseases, plagues, divorce, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, adultery, homosexuality, rebellious children, injustice, lack and want, terminal diseases, idolatry, false teaching, and deception. This terrible thing that happened in the garden, this terrible thing, all of the creation was changed and marred and now groans under the weight of our sin. The story of the fall of mankind is the story of all of us. This is the story that describes you and it describes me and it describes our own lives. In fact, our plight is desperate. Our situation is hopeless. We are both victims in this world and instigators. And now, and no amount of positive thinking and purpose-driven purpose-driven living can conquer the evil that has befallen humanity. Because on the day that we fell, our nature was changed. Humanity began as sons of God, but now we are children of the devil. In the beginning, God declared humans to be good, but now we are, by nature, children of wrath. But in the garden on the day when daylight turned to darkness, God set a single star in the sky, a star that pointed to Bethlehem, a star that reminds us that God has promised us a Savior. So, now, in God's inscripturated word, in the Bible, we, like the wise men of old, follow this star as it travels from Adam to Abel to Noah to Shem to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah and through the royal bloodline of King David and through the offspring of this line of kings, we arrive now in a backwater district of the Roman Empire. This star, this promise of one who would crush the head of the serpent leads us to an old and a childless woman and it leads us to the story of a virgin. And thus, we get to read from the Gospel of Luke, literally beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. We read, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those 
who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. It's kind of like the story of Abraham, isn't it? Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour, uh, outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and he fell, and, he, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people who are prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, Well, how should I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife has advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and you will be unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin who was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, who was of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, Well, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, Oh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy and the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, she is in, in her old age and has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We're going to go into our first break real quick. And when we get back, we're going to continue to pick up the story. We're talking about what the Bible teaches us about Christmas. And uh, when we come back, we'll pick up uh, from the story with uh, the Virgin Mary and uh, see what more has to be said. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard today or anything you've heard in any previous episodes of Fighting for the Faith, please feel free. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com talk back at fightingforthefaith.com and we will be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Fighting for the Faith is underwritten in part by LifeLock. Did you know that identity theft is a $50 billion a year business. And the severe downturn in the economy is providing identity thieves with even more incentives to hijack your identity and destroy your good name. But LifeLock provides a proactive identity theft service specializing in the prevention of identity theft rather than the reporting of it. LifeLock was founded in 2005 and is already considered the industry leader in identity theft prevention. In fact, LifeLock CEO Todd Davis is so confident in LifeLock's ability to protect your good name and stop identity thieves dead in their tracks that he freely shares his social security number on television, radio, and the internet. Furthermore, LifeLock guarantees its services up to $1 million. For more information on LifeLock, visit FightingForTheFaith.com and click on the LifeLock logo on our homepage. All right, we're back. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. And today is uh, Christmas Eve. The Advent season is just about over. And we look forward to singing with the angels, to glory to God on high and peace on earth goodwill toward men as they sang. 
But before we can get to the Gloria, before we can sing about this amazing event that unto us was born a Savior, we have to understand why it is that we had a Savior born to us. And so far, we've taken a look at the Scriptures. We've taken a look at the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, we have found out that in the beginning, God created everything as good. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God. And as a result of their disobedience has brought into this world all the pain and the suffering that each and every one of us experiences. And there may be some of you hearing this podcast today, listening to this, and your circumstances may be dire. It may be that your marriage is on the rocks. It may be that you have lost your job or that your company is about to declare bankruptcy and you don't know what the future is going to bring or to hold. It may be that you have a rebellious teenager who's off involved in all kinds of wrong and you may be suffering at night, laying awake, worrying. In fact, I don't think there's anybody listening here to this podcast who can say, you know what? My life has been perfect. My life has been cushy. I, I have everything I need. Nothing ever goes wrong in my life. In fact, even the wealthiest among us still struggle, still have problems and toils and problems that just that bring things into it. And you know what all these are? All of these things that I'm describing are proof of our sinful condition, are proof that we have messed up the world. We brought sin in, not God. We have made the earth into what it is, a place that is marked with pain, suffering, inequity, injustice, disease, and death. There is no happy ending for any of us, none whatsoever. And during the Advent season, we sing a very haunting song, a hymn. The name of the hymn is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Let me read this. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, O Emmanuel. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come thou wisdom from on high who ordered all things mightily. To us the path of knowledge show and teach us in her ways to go. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. O come, thou branch of Jesse's tree, free from Satan's tyranny, that trust thy mighty power to save and give them victory over the grave. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So we sing this haunting hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And what is the point of that song, it really, really gives the flavor and the lament and the toil and the pain and the suffering that we, that we experience here in this life. We long for 
and hope for and pray for the coming of Emmanuel. Emmanuel is the one that God promised would come. It was the star that God gave us in the darkness of our night when man was judged and fell from grace. Come, Emmanuel, we sing. And so when we last left off, we read of this amazing thing that the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and appeared to him and that his son to be born would become John the Baptist, the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. And then the angel Gabriel, six months later, is sent to a small backwater town in the Roman Empire, some obscure little poor place called Nazareth, to a young virgin girl named Mary, promising that God would overshadow her and that she would conceive and give birth to a son and call him Jesus. And Mary, after hearing this, said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary rose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned to her home. Now the time for Elizabeth to give birth, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have named him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no. He shall be called John. Why was she Why was she doing that? Because that's the name that the angels gave, right? And they said to her, well, none of your relatives is called by this name. And so they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed and he spoke blessing God. 
and fear came upon all of the neighbors and all these things that were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that he should be saved, that we should be saved from our enemies and from all the hands of those who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him with fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways and to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the Son shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Amazing story so far. The one that God promised in the garden the one who would crush the head of the serpent, is just about ready to burst forth into human history, a light that shines in the darkness. And he called one, this John the Baptist, to prepare the way for him, to call people to repentance and lead them in the knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of sins that is in Jesus Christ. And thus we read, of this amazing fulfillment of the promise that God gave. Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because... He was of the house in the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. God made good on the promise that he gave to Adam and Eve on the day that daylight turned to darkness. How could he not? And here in this humble manger, here nursing at the breast of Mary, was the Savior of humanity, God himself in human flesh. He had actually come to save us. Here was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wise men followed a star to Bethlehem and worshipped this newborn king, and God himself is inviting you and me to do the same. But the story of Christmas doesn't end in a manger, nor does it end with wise men and gifts of frankincense and myrrh. This infant, this promised Savior, he grew and became mighty in word and deed. He healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, raised the dead. He was the light, and he shone like the sun into the darkness of our prison that we created for ourselves through our sin and rebellion against God. But what did we do with the Savior? Did we bask in his light? No, we didn't. All of us you and me and as even his apostles included, have abandoned him and killed him and nailed him to a cross. We read in the Gospel of Matthew what happened with this infant child, the Savior that came into the world of which the angels sang. We read that he was betrayed by one of his apostles, that he was arrested and taken into custody and that there was a kangaroo court convened for the whole purpose of killing him. Matthew 27. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. And, when, and now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. And then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge. So the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast of the Passover, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. 
and they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. And beside, while he was sitting in the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him that said, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. And now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to kill and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. And so while Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. And then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So there was the crowd calling for the unrighteous one to be set free and calling for God himself in human flesh, the Savior who was born to the Virgin Mary, glorified and worshipped by angels and wise men and shepherds, sinless and spotless, mighty in power indeed, the one himself who spoke the heavens and the earth into all creation and at the beginning declared things to be very good. There he was making good on his promise that he would crush the head of the serpent, that star that he set into the sky, pointing us to Bethlehem, even in Genesis. And what did we do? We yelled for him to be crucified. And in an ironic twist of fate, the crowd said these words, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Ironically, that's the way they meant that was not the way it ended up being for real. We pray, as Christians, we pray that Jesus' blood be on us and on our children because we know that Jesus is like the Passover lamb from the days of Exodus and that his blood covers us and that the destroyer passes over us, that his blood has redeemed us, purchased us, atoned for our sins, and propitiated God's wrath. And so, in a very weird, almost surreal way, we actually can pray these words of the crowd, let Christ's blood be on us and on our children. So then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. An entire battalion of Roman soldiers. And they stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it in his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. 
And when they had mocked him and stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him, they led him away to be crucified. And as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, this is the very place in which Abraham nearly sacrificed his son Isaac. This was the very same place where it was said that God would provide. They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them and cast by casting lots. And they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. When the two robbers were crucified with him on the right and on the left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. But see, that's the thing. The reason why he didn't come down from the cross is because he was the son of God because as he was bleeding as he was dying the sins of the world had been laid upon him my sins and your sins all of our darkness all of our adulteries all of our idolatries all of our gossip all of our injustice all of our sin was laid upon him and he was not going to come down from that tree no matter what because his mission was to save us so also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him saying he saved others he cannot save himself see that's the point by dying he was saving others he was saving all of us he He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. And now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, laba sabachthani. That means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them ran at once and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see if Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again in a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook And the rocks split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. And there were many also. Many women there looking from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mothers of the sons of Zebedee. When as evening there was a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus, and he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, 
and laid it in his new tomb, which he had cut in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, were there sitting opposite the tomb. And the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests of the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how this ad imposter said that he was, when he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell people that he's risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to him, You have a guard of soldiers. Go and make, secure as, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made a tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was like snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Isn't that... What the shepherd said, come, let's see the place where the Messiah, the Savior is born. Come, let us see where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. And they came up to him and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, Go to Galilee, and there they will see me. In all of our wickedness, in all of our evil, we crucified the Lord. It was your sin that put him on the cross. It was my sin that put him on the cross. But see, all the way back in the beginning, on the day when darkness fell on mankind, when sin entered the world through man's rebellion and disobedience to God. God, in that darkness, set the star of Bethlehem into the, st into the sky, and the star of Bethlehem was the promise that he would send one who would crush the head of the serpent. And what does this mean for us? And what does it mean for us? Remember the angels declaring peace on whom God's favor rests? You see, the message of the gospel is this. Repent of your sin and your wickedness. Repent and receive the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. The peace that we sing about, the peace that we proclaim during Christmas, is the peace that's found in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace.
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit dwells in you. Do you belong to Christ? The Christmas story is the story of God's invasion into the world. It's the story of God keeping His promise. The story that God sent us a Savior. The promised Savior that was promised on the day when man fell. It sounds too wild to be true. And yet it is. It sounds too good to be true. And yet it isn't. That God and sinners are reconciled? Weren't we the ones weren't we the ones who rebelled against God? All of us, if you're honest with yourself, know that we deserve nothing but God's wrath. We deserve nothing but God's punishment. Even our best good works don't even measure up. And you know it. All of the misery, the suffering, the pain, the toil that you experience in your life, those are all little birth pangs. Actually, death pangs. These are the signs that assure you that your death is coming. The wages of your sin is coming. Payday is coming. But see, the good news is, is that God and sinners were reconciled. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal to people through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be therefore reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The ancients understood that even though the new has come, we walk by faith and not by sight, and that each and every one of us has to face our death straight up. The question is, if you walk by faith and not by sight, do you trust that you have been reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ? If so, then our Christian life follows an ancient and ancient text that Christians prayed called the litany. Let me read the litany for you. Litany has a bad connotation. But do you want your marriage to work out? Do you want 
meaning for all the toil and suffering that you're experiencing? Do you want to be rescued? I've got news for you. Your marriage may not work out. And if it doesn't, I'm going to tell you straight up, it's your sin that's to blame. It's our sin that destroyed the earth, set it in darkness, caused it to be a life of toil rather than a life of blessing. And so we pray the litany, O Lord, have mercy. O Christ, have mercy. O Lord, have mercy. O Christ, hear us. God the Father in heaven, have mercy. God the Son, Redeemer of the world, have mercy. God the Holy Spirit, have mercy. Be gracious to us. Spare us, good Lord. Be gracious to us. Help us, good Lord. From all sin, from all error, from all evil, from crafts and assaults of the devil, from sudden and evil death, from pestilence and famine, from war and bloodshed, from sedition and from rebellion, from lightning and tempest, from all calamity by fire and water and from everlasting death, good Lord, deliver us. By the mystery of your incarnation, by the holy nativity, by your baptism, fasting, and temptation, and by your agony and bloody sweat, by your cross and passion, and by your precious death and burial, by your glorious resurrection and ascension, and by the coming of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, help us, good Lord. In all time of tribulation, in all time of prosperity, in the hour of our death and in the day of judgment, help us, good Lord. We poor sinners implore you to hear us, O Lord to rule and to govern your holy Christian church, to preserve all pastors and ministers of your word in the true knowledge and understanding of your wholesome word, and to sustain them in holy living, to put an end to all schisms and causes of, of offense, to bring into the way of truth all who have erred and are deceived, to beat down Satan under our feet and to send faithful laborers into your harvest and to accompany your word with your grace and spirit. We implore you to hear us, good Lord to raise those who fall and to strengthen those who stand and to comfort and help the weak-hearted and the distressed. We implore you to hear us, good Lord, to give to all peoples concord and peace, to persevere, to preserve our land from discord and strife, to give our country your protection in every time of need, to direct and defend our president and all in authority to bless and protect our magistrates and all our people, to watch over and to help all who are in danger, necessity, and tribulation, to protect and guide all who travel, to grant all women with children and all mothers with infant children increasing happiness in their blessing, to defend all orphans and widows, and to provide for them, to strengthen and keep all sick persons and young children, to free those in bondage, and to have mercy on us all. We implore you to hear us, good Lord, to forgive our enemies, persecutors, and slanderers, and to turn their hearts to give and uh, preserve for our use the kindly fruits of the earth and graciously hear our prayers. We implore you to hear us, good Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we implore you to hear us. Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy. Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, have mercy. Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, grant us your peace. O Christ, hear us. O Christ, have mercy. O Christ, have mercy. O Lord, have mercy. Amen. 
just as God has granted mercy to us. We are called to go and live in God's mercy and extend God's mercy in all that we do to our wife, to our spouse, to our employer, to our children, to our neighbors, to those in need. The Christian life, this side of Christ's return in glory, is one still of toil, of hopeful anticipation for the return of our King, knowing that it's now and not yet, that it's here and yet to come, that we are sinners and saint. The story of Christmas is the story of God breaking through into human history to do the inconceivable, to come and and atone for our sins. For unto us is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That is the real story of Christmas. Until next time, Merry Christmas. Christmas.